0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, September 28th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And we're only a couple. Days away from the end of the quarter. I know it's starting to feel a little like fall to me here in Southern California. And the market is rebounding from the most recent sell-off over the past few weeks on the hopes that there will be more stimulus. And this is not just coming from Congress, you know, Congress loves to spend. But you're also getting a Federal Reserve, that actively Wednesday came out and said that they need fiscal help in order to keep the recovery going. Cleveland Fed Fed President Loretta Mester said it was very much needed given the deep hole the economy is climbing out of. Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, also said in a recent congressional hearing that more support is likely to be necessary and even in their economic prognostications they're expecting further stimulus one of the members rosengrant he says that a trillion dollar stimulus is baked in to his forecast for the next year, year and a half. Now, the project, projections out of the Fed are is that unemployment will be 7.6% in the fourth quarter, down from 8.4% in August, and then drop all the way back down to 55 by the end of next year. But that's with stimulus. Some Fed members aren't as optimistic, though. Some think that it's going to take another surge in COVID cases in order to get Congress to act. That's certainly possible. But you have not seen a drastic sell-off in markets in, in response to no deal yet. Right, I talked about last week how this week is the, the week. Congress goes on recess at the end of this week. And they do not come back until after the election, mid-November, so typically votes aren't made after that. Now there hasn't been quite the big sell-off like in financial crisis. Remember in the financial crisis when there was the the TARP program was going through Congress and the market sold off when it didn't pass dramatically. What did that do? That led lawmakers to go back to the table. Go back to the drawing board. Is it going to take a market sell-off like that? Or is just the environment too contentious? Right, election coming up, Supreme Court judge. And just the political environment in general. So that's really, I think, what the market rallied on today. was optimism around further stimulus. But you should be prepared for continuing volatility. I'm Justin Klein, and and today and in this program and podcast each and every day, I do my best to give you unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. I know you want ideas, information, perspective in order to develop strategies that will get you to your goals, help you reach your own particular version of financial freedom, and everyone's different, right? What their final goal is, what their current situation is, what their risk tolerance is, uh, how much time they have to put in it themselves versus hiring somebody else or just straight up indexing. There's a lot of ways that you can go about this investing game. So that's what I'm gonna help you with today. 8899 chart, 8992 4270 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at the markets. The S&P was up 54, 53 points, little about 1.5% or so. NASDAQ up a little bit more, about 2% or so. Small caps, that was up uh, over 2%, so pretty nice day on the small caps. And you saw early on, value was outperforming growth, but by the end of the day, you saw, let's see, I think it closed. Yeah, That's why. I missed one. There we go. Yeah, by the end of the day, growth actually outperformed value on the day. So will that reassert itself as the trend? We will see, I think, here shortly. Now, I'm ready to take your calls right now. So let's get right to our first caller that came in after hours on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. Brian from San Diego again. Love the show. I had a question about an ETF today. I'm looking at the iShares Germany fund, which is ticker EWG. And they also have a hedged version of this fund and it's H E W G. And I was wondering if you would advise or if you were investing in them, would you do both to protect against, you know, different fluctuations in the currency? Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So he's looking at the EWG, which was one of the, one of the largest foreign uh, individual country ETFs out there, uh, it's iShares, So you're going to get exposure to Germany here. But he's also looking at the WisdomTree Germany Hedged Equity ETF, DXGE. And I would have to look into this, but I imagine what it's doing is it's hedging out the currency risk. When you invest in any foreign market, in this case, Germany, in this case, the euro is what you are going to be exposed to. Right, because you're investing in German companies, most of those German companies have most of their earnings within the European Union, which are denominated in euros. So if they make more money, right, the companies within this ETF make more money. The top weighting is Siemens. Second is Deutsche Telekom. Third is Daimler. Fourth is SAP. Fifth is BMW. Okay, so most of their business is denominated in euros. So if the euro increases in value. In relation to dollars, when you translate that back to dollars, you get more dollars. Right. So you have currency risk and the vice versa is true as well. Right. If the euro falls in value and you translate that back to dollars, well, you're getting less dollars. So you have currency risk there. So the big question here is, what do you think is going to happen with the dollar? The dollar continues its downward slide, which I think it will. I think it's becoming more like Europe and less, uh, you know, and and that will bring, uh, I think, the currencies more to parity. I think this will make the euro rise in relation to the dollar. So I wouldn't need to hedge it. So I would just go with the EWG if you're looking to get exposure to Germany. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. The summer is over, but managing risk and balancing your portfolio correctly never takes a break. Now, how do you deal with that volatility? Let's talk about it. Your participation is an important part of the mix, so get your calls in now at 888.99 Chart.
2: It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein is here in questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions. Call Invest Talk 99 chart.
1: Let's go to Alex in Washington D.C. Looking at Next Energy. This is a utility company. Do you own it? Are you looking to buy it?
0: Yeah, so first of all, I love the
2: show,
1: Justin. Um, thank you for it. having it available on the podcast. Um, yeah, so I'm looking at picker symbol N-E-E, Nextera Energy. And um, basically, yeah, I'm looking to buy. I uh, just want to diversify. I'm a little, you know, too tech heavy. So I'm looking mm-hmm. at this. So two questions with this one, really. Um, one is, I know that they're going to have a stock split in October. So I wanted to see what you anticipate there, you know, kind of learning from, like, what happened with Apple. And just to just, you know, just your general future outlook on this company with, um, you know, renewable energy and, and that sort of um, energy moving forward. So, um, yeah. Well, first off, I, I almost ignore stock splits. Uh, I know recently they have definitely helped. uh a lot of novice investors get into stocks at seemingly lower prices, but it doesn't change the valuation on these companies. So uh, to me, that wouldn't matter. What would matter most is valuation as well as the the future growth of, of the business. Now, if you look at uh, Next Energy, they've been growing pretty consistently for an extended period of time. 2014 made $5.30 a share. And next year, they're supposed to make Almost $10 a share. So almost doubling their earnings in, in seven years on a utility company is very good. A lot of that is on the back of clean energy. They operate in Florida, which is to me a, a great place to, uh, a great place to operate as a utility. There's a lot of growth in that area. I think a baby boomer's retiring and, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's the sun belt. So, um, I, I actually kind of like it. And the question is valuation. I think it is a little expensive here. Uh, you're talking about enterprise value is 18 and a half on a uh, on utility. That's pretty expensive. It's one of the most expensive utilities out there. But if you're looking for utility with green energy uh, bent to it, uh, this is one of the better ones. Yields only 2%, but certainly is expensive at these levels. But it deserves a premium, right? It deserves to be trading at higher than most other utilities. Why? Because it's return on investor capital, return on equity tends to be a little bit higher than average. It's Over the last five years, has been kind of in the low single digits, which is very good for utilities. So um, I like the business. It's just too expensive for me. And that's why I would wait on it uh, sub 200, I think this is a great value. So obviously there's going to be some sort of split, and you have to calculate for that. But right around where it was in March, April, I think it's a great value, uh, a great company to get into then. Now at 284, I think it's a little too expensive for my taste. Thanks for the call, Alex. Let's go to Rahood in North Carolina, looking at ABEV. Yeah,
2: hi, Justin. Thanks for the team of call. Yeah. Uh, I have a question around... Sorry, I have a question with ABEB, Uh, the valuation looks uh, pretty good and uh, there was a problem with COVID uh, but uh, it's kind of, uh, uh, I mean because it's going to be summer in South America, it should I think uh, improve, the stock prices will improve
0: Mm. and
2: the second question was uh, other than uh, munis and uh, treasury bonds, are there any other securities which have a, a, a uh, which have like tax advantage in the taxable account.
1: Are there other type of investments you're saying that have tax uh, advantages? Other type
2: of securities uh, that have a tax, I mean that, that have a competitive tax advantage uh, if invested in a taxable account.
1: Yeah, I, I would say that I think di- high, <gasps> high dividend paying stocks that are sustainable. I think that's a tax advantage because you're taxed at uh, the uh, you're taxed at long-term capital gains rate on those dividends, right? So uh, they're qualified dividends, so they're taxed differently than ordinary income. So I think that's a tax advantage. I think that's under discussed. Um, but for the most part, no. Those are, are 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 most of the ones that are tax advantage. Now the big question is, road, are you in a high tax bracket or the highest tax bracket? Yeah. You are. Okay. Well, then that would, uh, make sense for you. You probably want to look as well into not just ones in your state. There are other ones, especially states that do not have income tax, uh, where the yields can be higher. Uh, think of Florida, for example, is a good example. And so, um, if you want to discuss that further, just send me an email and we can, uh, we can talk about that. But, uh, Ambev ambev the issue with ambev is that it's domiciled in brazil and it's a brazilian business and their economy is suffering dramatically as well as the currency so this goes back to your currency risk here uh it looks cheap in relation to past revenues and stuff but if the currency is declining then i would pass on it and the stock the the chart looks terrible so i would wait on ambev at some point it's going to be a great value but not yet Now, my focus point today concerns the story. Blue Cross Blue Shield has reportedly reached a tentative $2.5 billion antitrust settlement. We're going to get to that after the break and what that means for the sector as a whole. But we're taking your calls now at 888-99-CHART.
2: You are listening to Invest Talk Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888
1: 99 Chart. Let's go to Robert in Vancouver. He wants to talk about gold.
0: Hi. Uh, so I got a question about gold, silver in general. It mm-hmm. seems like it's going down. I mean, is the, is the run, the rally over? Um, I've lost, uh, like 20% in one of them. It's the Fortuna Silver Mines FSM. Mm-hmm. Um, should I be selling out now? Like, I mean, is, is, is the gold rush over?
1: Well, uh this is kind of what I've been saying for about 2 months now. Uh I, th- there was a kind of a fever pitch, you saw it in the headlines on Bloomberg and in the media, financial media about gold and everyone was talking about it, you know, late July, early August. And that was an indicator to me that uh, maybe the, the recent run was hitting close to an apex. Uh and I think uh, and I said for for I've said for the last couple months that we're going to be going through a consolidation pullback period. Gold and silver miners are very volatile. If you cannot stand a 20% move up and down, prefer, especially down, uh, in, in these names, you shouldn't be investing in them. Okay. Go, this is a, 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 trade on a handful of things. Three, three things mainly. Gold and silver tend to go up for three reasons. One is the value of the dollar. The value of the dollar going up or value of the dollar going down. Recently, over the past month or so, the value of the dollar has been going a little bit up even though since the beginning of the shutdown it's been going down. So the trend overall is down in the medium term, very short term it's up. So that's why part of the reason you're getting a pullback. Number 2, real yields. So if the Fed is or the government doesn't implement another stimulus package, that could push real yields a little bit higher because inflation expectations are likely to drop some. So you could see more volatility in the space if there is not a deal. So understand that, okay? And in August time frame, real yields hit their their lowest point in many, many years. And that was obviously very good for gold and silver. So those two dollar and real yield aspects of the market kind of hit their extremes in August. What hasn't is the third leg, and that is structural deficits. We have a structural problem With our deficits in this country. 97% of real interest costs on the debt equate to our tax receipts, meaning there's only 3% left over for, say, discretionary spending. We are in a fiscal crisis. Now, both camps in the government are kind of saying, well, you know, MMT, we can print. Until there's inflation, until there's a problem. Now, what do you print money to do? Obviously, that's going to be debated. But overall, that's their plan, is to continue to print, debase the currency, and spend. And so, while you're going to see a lot of volatility, if you cannot stand 25 30% moves up and down in these type of names, then you shouldn't be in them. Overall, the trend is still fine. There's nothing wrong with the trend. The lower bot needs a consolidation. And consolidation in these names means 20% up, 20% down over multi-months. If you can't handle that, then you shouldn't be buying gold miners or gold silver miners. Just buy a GLD or an SLV. The volatility is going to be a lot lower. Half or a third of what you'll see out of the overall miners. So we still like Fortuna. Still above its major moving averages, 100, 200-day moving average. Still an uptrend. Pulled back. Pulled back to where it was in August. The low in August. Nothing wrong with it. Thanks for the call, Robert. Now, my focus point today concerns the story Blue Cross Blue Shields reportedly reached a tentative $2.7 billion antitrust settlement. And this is because they conspired and violated the Sherman Antitrust Act. By dividing up health insurance markets to avoid competitions with each other. And this is hopefully, and I think it will be, the start of continued discussion about certain industries that are utilizing the system... To their own benefit and to thwart competition, and hopefully, you know this is this is likely going to affect the sector, and you see that with some of the stocks that are, are hurting. Um, and if you if you have a Biden administration, I, I think that's only going to continue. Right, the health insurers they've done well since under Obamacare, maybe too well, and. A statement from Anthem Blue Cross said that we are they're committed to improving the health of its members and local communities. And this goes back to what I said with the fourth turning, is that the stakeholders in the economy are going to be more important in the 2020s than the shareholders in the economy. Even though it's starting out differently, but you're starting to see the trend that way. Uh, and that will certainly be important to watch is the regulatory environment that evolves over the next decade. Now, the next invest stock story that emphasizes this question is it too risky to put money in stocks right now? Can that be right? According to a Wells Fargo strategist, after excluding risk associated with the common the coming election, the newest coronavirus headlines imply a 2 to 4% downside from current levels. Steve will get to that story tomorrow, but for now I'm Justin Klein and ready to take your questions live at 99 chart. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com, that's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com.
2: You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk,
1: 888-99-CHART. Now we get a lot of recorded calls, but we also love our live callers as well. So let's check in with Tim, who is in Washington State, and he wants to talk about oil stocks.
0: Hi, Justin. Um, thanks for
2: the show. I really appreciate uh, being able to uh, listen to it every day, and uh, been learning a lot. Um, really great really show to listen
1: to. Appreciate those kind words. What are you? Uh, are you looking to pick up some oil stocks, or do you own them?
2: No, I don't own them yet. Um, I have uh, just been kind of looking at uh, possibly picking up um, an oil stock, and I sharing a bunch of them today. And, uh, I, man, I tell you, I kind of got lost in all the numbers. Um, I was looking at payout ratios and dividends and, um, everything else. I was trying to look at as much information as I can from the free information on the web. And, um, and yeah, I guess I got to a point where I'm kind of, um, You know, not sure if I should go with, you know, like an Exxon or a Chevron or a Philips 66 or what, you know, um, want to maybe get, have you give me some
1: direction. Yeah. Well, a great question. There, there are a lot of options. Now, what I will say is go with a company with a strong balance sheet. Now it doesn't have to be the strongest balance sheet in the, in the industry, but a company with a strong balance sheet. There are many shale producers that have overextended themselves, made poor decisions, uh, both in acquisition of new wells and the drilling of new wells, but also taking on too much debt in order to do that and uh, too much debt for uneconomic wells, or at least ones that were risky economically, meaning uh, their break-even rates were you know, north of $50 a share. Or sorry, $50 a barrel, excuse me. And so with oil kind of hanging around this 40 mark, you need a company with good balance sheet, diverse operations as well. So we like that. So meaning that they're not just drilling and selling oil. That's not the only way they make money. They can process it. They're they're more vertically integrated. So we like companies like that. So I would look for those businesses as opposed to uh, maybe... Throwing a long shot on a shale producer because while I do think oil is not going to go down too much more because so much supply has come off, at least in the near term. Uh, I think oil going into middle part next year will be going higher. And so that's why I, I like the oil companies. Their, their sentiment is really, really, really bad right now. Uh, and that typically when sentiment is so poor, that means there's a lot of opportunity in the, in the, on the marketplace. So I like what you're looking at but look for companies with good balance sheet and more diverse vertically integrated businesses thanks for the call tim now from time to time i like to take a few seconds to mention here on invest talk that at my company kp financial we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success that's how we operate on invest talk as well so we're dedicated to that unbiased guidance and we practice parallel investing. Meaning we invest right alongside our clients. So I encourage you to take advantage for our pre, our free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype or Jive meetings. You can send us a message over at investtalk.com or call our KPP financial office in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. Let's dig into the IPO market. The IPO market is partying. The best years for an IPO since two 000. And it could be, 2020 could be the biggest year ever. Now, U.S. listed IPOs have raised nearly $95 billion through Wednesday of last week. And that outpaces everything except for 2014 and 2000. In 2014, it was $96 billion. So very likely we're going to pass that. You only need a billion dollars more. And Alibaba was a quarter of that back in 2014. So you, it's kind of an anomaly, and we're definitely going to pass that and likely pass passed the highs in 2000, which was over $100 billion. Now, the average IPO in 2000 was up 22% on its initial listing. This year, up 24%. Now, more than 80% of the money that has been raised through IPOs are in three sectors or three categories, healthcare, technology, or a SPAC, special purpose acquisition company, which used to be frowned upon as kind of financial engineering, but not so anymore. Now, more than 235 companies have been listed on the market this year. 2000 was 439, so I don't think we're gonna get to the total amount, but certainly the dollar amount will be surpassed and the valuations that are being given to these companies are absolutely massive especially in relation to their private market valuations as well and it's a lot easier to raise money right there's instead of doing road shows you doing doing a virtual that's definitely changed the dynamic so just from a small office you can literally raise hundreds of millions of dollars on a, for a company that's worth billions. So that's changed a lot and it's allowed a lot more people to jump on, right? Instead of going to big funds, big institutions to pitch, right? With your pitch book for an IPO. Now you just do it online and a lot of different institutions can participate. And so there's a lot more money potentially to be had and to invest. Now, there's been changing dynamics like the direct listings as well. That's something that uh, is becoming more and more popular. I know Airbnb is looking to do that. And it just goes to show you how just absolutely crazy this market is, right? Liquidity is very strong. People are looking for that growth, and they're paying exorbitant prices. And so a lot of people ask about IPOs on this show and typically we don't love them. Why? Because they tend to be very overvalued and it's this market that's especially so. Now, does that mean that you can't buy them and, and trade them, right? They've popped 24% on average in initial day. If you can get them before the IPO, maybe that's a strategy, but post IPO, after it's popped 24% on top of a value that is probably exorbitant, that becomes a big, big issue. And then you have the Nicholas of the world, right? They raise money through a SPAC. And it come to found out, basically their company is fraudulent. The founder is fraudulent. The way he's marketed his company. And shares are now below the level that they were traded when that merger deal was announced. So it goes to show you that just like in 2000, there are going to be some great companies that come out of this IPO bonanza, but they are going to be few and far between. The vast majority will either be a shell of their former selves five years from now, 10 years from now, or they'll be gone like a pets.com. So if you're trying to join this party, make sure you do your homework and don't just buy the hype like a Nikola. Make sure you know it's a solid company long term. Now, as regular investors know, we get calls from all over the country. Here comes a question that came in earlier from New Jersey.
2: Hey, guys, this is
1: Steve from Jersey.
2: I have a question about MSTR. It's MicroStrategy. I have a, a small position, like 3%. I'm thinking about going to 6%. I wonder what you guys' uh, opinion
1: with that was going to be. i thank you guys so much. Bye. All right, looking at MicroStrategy. Let's see what they do. Provides enterprise analytics and mobility software. This ob- obviously is an area that is has a lot of attention. Uh, many of these companies are pretty overvalued. This one is uh, about a 1.5 billion dollar market cap. Revenues four and seventy five million. EBITDA thirty nine million. Trading twelve months, and that's it was going down, and now it's starting to come back up, and I like that that it's going from negative in March of 2019, trailing 12 months. Now we're at 40 million. So I like that positive trend. Let's look at some other data though. Revenue down 6% year over year and been consistently down. Why has it been shrinking for the past two years, basically, from a revenue standpoint? Now, earnings the past few quarters, like I said, are are doing much, much better. And I want to know why. How? Because you can only have profits go up for so long if Revenue is flat or falling in this case. So I really need to know why analysts are expecting to go from a twenty-two last year in earnings to $5.87 a share next year. Now, that would make me then go to the chart. And the chart looks pretty solid. Right? It broke out here in August. Been consolidating. Tried to break out in uh, earlier this month brought it back, but didn't break any major trend lines, to be honest with you. so uh, Would you go all the way to 6%? I think that's pretty heavy, especially for this type of company, a small cap company like this. 5% would probably be my limits, but technically I like it and I would really need to understand that story. Why is it going to increase earnings so dramatically? If I believe that story, I like that story, then I could buy into it, um, but I would really need to Dig deep, but I like it on the surface. I'm Justin Klein. Listen to Invest Talk, and you are in fantastic company. Our podcast download statistics show that for September, we are already past the 800,000 mark on our way to 900 for the for the month of September. And we're excited to have you aboard. That'll be an all time high in the history of Invest Talk. So we appreciate you telling your friends and family members about our investing and financial podcasts. And of course you are welcome to call our KP financial offices in Irvine, California. If you have any questions for us, if you want help, if you need help, we want to help you. Our phone lines are open right now. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest
2: Talk. Good news. Steve and Justin have recorded another rapid fire hour podcast. They take caller questions at a faster pace, but you still get their unbiased answers. In this special bonus show podcast, You'll hear responses to 34 finance and investment questions. The theme of the program concerns market processes, best practices for investors, and explanations of various terms and investment opportunities. So tell your friends, search Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, or InvestTalk.com for the free August Rapid Fire Hour. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Talk. Made possible by KPP Financial. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Russ in Chicago. Quick question on covered calls. What is your opinion or recommendation on writing covered calls if, say, you have 100 shares of Altria, average $49, and it's currently trading at $39? The premium there is very little, if at all, non-existent. So do you take a risk and write it for below your average or do you always write it above your average price?
1: And I love your show. Thank you very much. Well, no. You, you don't just base your call selling decision based on your purchase price. If you purchased it wrong, you purchased it wrong. You need to balance the premium that you're going to get the risk to the downside of the equity as a whole, and the amount of time you want to hold, it. right? Because you can go out a year plus, probably get decent premium on a 50 strike. Right now it's at 39, but I wouldn't recommend that. Now what we do with our cover call strategy is we go out typically 30 to 60 days. Why? Because that's when you get the most decay happening over those last 30 to 60 days. Of a call being in existence, right? They expire the third Friday of every month. And typically, as that accelerates towards expiration, the premium that you're getting above the intrinsic value, if there is any, is going to diminish rather quickly. And so, if it's at 30, it's at 39 right now, I would look at something like a 42.50 strike going out to November. Somewhere around 60 days, decent upside for the equity, talking about 7 8%. And actually, what would the premium be? I always like looking these up and seeing what type of premium you can get, right? Because this is a type of company you would run a cover call. They pay $0.86 cents a share, uh, about 6 what's that, 7% dividend yield. And you can get a 42, 50 strike and get about $0.65. Cents about a percent and a half. It's not bad. Especially for a low volatility name like Altria. So uh, that's the way I would handle your covered call on MO Altria Group. Now I'm not sure if I can fit another caller color question before the break, but I can try. Came in earlier at eight ninety nine chart, this time from Australia. Hi Stephen and Justin, it's James from Australia. Just had a quick question around Albertsons, ticket symbol ACI, just wondering If you think that's a good value play, it seems really cheap right now. Just wondering what your thoughts are. Thanks. Bye. All right, looking at Albertson's companies, they operate 2,252 stores under 20 different grocery banners throughout the United States in District of Columbia. Revenue last quarter up 21%, earnings up thousand percent, a dollar twenty two. So let's make two dollars and fifteen cents this year from, excuse me, two fifteen next year and dollar ninety seven or ninety seven cents last year. So earnings are, are, are growing pretty dramatically. We like it. We own it for our, our managed accounts. We like it at these valuations. I think there's been a lot of, uh, people liquidating their position in Albertsons. A lot of private investors, because a recent one IPO uh, in late June. And we like it around this $14, $13, $14 mark. It, it looks pretty cheap to us, $6.34 billion valuation, enterprise value, but only three big fan of Albertsons. This is InvestTalk, I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break at 888-99-CHART. Hi,
0: this question is for either Steve or Justin. My name is Nick from Linwood, Washington. Looking at Global Medical REIT, GMRE. Uh, I was just curious about that uh, dividend yield, if, if it's sustainable or not. Uh, looking forward to your guys' answer on the show. Thank you. Bye. All right,
1: he's looking at Global Medical REIT. GMRE is the symbol. This is a REIT that owns and leases 68 state-of-the-art purpose-built healthcare facilities across the United States. And they've been acquiring assets at a pretty rapid pace over the past, uh, let's say, decade or so. Right? Yeah, 2016 is when they really ramped up their, their asset purchases. And it's a $628 million market cap. The issue here is that they're issuing a lot of equity, revenue or equity or number of shares outstanding in 2018 was 22 million, now we're at 41 million. So they've doubled their shares outstanding. Their dividend yield has stayed flat over the past four years, right? So they're kind of issuing shares in order to pay that dividend. So there's no dividend growth here. And that's my worry on the front. I, I like their business. I like where they're at. I just don't know if that dividend is gonna grow. I think it's gonna kind of stay where it's at. Uh, they're, they're clearly have they have negative free cash flow. So I don't like that. Their capital spending is, is pretty high, right? Acquiring new, uh, they're in growth phase. They're in the growth phase. So you're not going, the new money is gonna go towards buying new buildings, getting more assets, On the balance sheet right revenue in 2015 was only 2 million now we're at 82 million so they're in the growth phase this is really a growth reit and so if you're looking for a growth reit in that sense this is what you're looking at you're not looking at a, a reit that's going to up its dividend it's going to try to grow into that dividend and hope there's no financial mistakes in the meantime so I kind of like it overall, but don't expect that dividend to grow anytime soon. Let's keep things moving. This time, a caller from Illinois. Hi, this is Jeff from Bloomington, Illinois. I'm interested in closed-end funds.
2: I don't know a lot about them, but I'm kind of wondering how they work. I know I'm not supposed to, or I shouldn't buy them at a premium, but at a discount. I'm wondering how that works
1: into the value, and they seem to pay pretty good or pretty well on... uh, Percentages, but I'm wondering if that is true, or can you give me some insight on exactly how they work? Thank you. Then fund is very similar to an ETF in the sense that it's a fund; it owns a collection of assets. Now that could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be a combination, it could be uh, commodities, could be a lot of things. An ETF creates can create new shares or destroy shares depending on Flows right. A closed-end fund doesn't do that. Now they will periodically buy back shares at uh, NAV. So in case there's a premium and there, there's 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 some aspects to it on that front, but that can be kind of complex. But you're right that a lot of them do trade at a discount to the NAV. NAV is the value of all the assets within the portfolio. So the idea is that you're getting some sort of a discount. The issue is liquidity. Liquidity is often very low. okay, And many of them, especially on the bond side, they employ a lot of leverage. So leverage, when it comes to debt, go back to 2008, that becomes a big issue from time to time when you have a deflationary shock. And so closed-end funds tend to be a lot riskier than ETFs, but you also can get that discount. And if they close up shop, which happens, maybe not enough investors, you could capture that, that discount, meaning they will liquidate the assets, give you back all your money, and you would get the NAV. That can happen as well. So they are kind of complex. You have to understand the strategy behind them. Usually they're actively managed. They're not following an index. And you need to be confident in that strategy they're deploying. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. Steve will be here tomorrow. In the meantime, remember to tell your friends and family members that they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at investtalk.com. Or they can check it out on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Remember, you can also stream the show live from 4 to 5 Pacific time on investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.